2: Here's Joyce Bender.
3: Welcome to the show, everyone. So excited. So excited because I just came back from South Korea on the state-sponsored trip for one week to meet with disability groups and talk about employment. It was absolutely transformative, wonderful, and Yoshiko Dart, I know you're listening. Guess what I taught them to say? Lead on. And I have a video I'm going to send to you of that. Um, but today we have, see here in the United States, oh my goodness, we're so far ahead compared to South Korea. And certainly one area would be in augmentative and alternative communication. So far are they from that. And so fortunate are we in the United States. And today, We have an expert, a scholar, she is so knowledgeable, you cannot believe this woman's bio, Um, I mean it's just an honor to have her on the show, and she is Katya Hill, the Executive Director of AAC Institute. Katya, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Joyce. (laughs) It's
3: great to be on. Well, thank you. Um, So, let's get started from the beginning. Um, I know it is surprising that there are many people in the disability community that when I talk to them, even about augmentative communication, they do not know what we're talking about. So would you take a few minutes to, de- to describe and explain both augmentative and alternative communication uh, for our listeners and how they are different?
1: Um, okay. You know, I don't want to get too technical in my answer. Uh, But I think uh, listeners should consider that AAC, whether or not you're saying augmentative communication or augmentative and alternative communication, is a specialty field of communication science and disorders. So AAC includes the full range of methods and technologies to supplement speech, language, and communication when a person's natural speech does not meet their daily communication needs. And I think it's important that your listeners appreciate that uh, AAC clinical service is a specialty. So just like you expect your primary care physician to refer you to a specialist, such as a neurologist or cardiologist, when you have more than a routine problem, making decisions about AAC interventions will influence someone's life experience and quality of life. So it's amazing how someone would never think of recommending a prosthetic limb or a powered wheelchair, yet they feel they can suggest an appropriate AAC system because they have a mobile device or a computer. <laughs> and it's more, so much more than that. You know what? That's very interesting you were talking
3: about a specialist in that area, because that's the same thing that applies, such as you know I have epilepsy, going Uh to someone that knows what your uh, disorder or disability is. uh, And that's, uh, you know, that would apply to this also. So augmentative communication, uh, that really, to me, is just using technology to enable someone to talk or speak to others. Would you say that's from a layman's
1: term, correct? That's right, but the the range of options are uh, extensive, and there are ways to be looking at the features available in in that range of technology that uh, you really need to understand thoroughly in order to correctly match someone with what's going to result in the most effective communication for them or allowing them to reach their potential. So, um, and people don't think of the distinctions between the hardware, which might be uh, a tablet, a mobile device, a uh, computer based system, uh, versus what is the software that is language based, allowing them to communicate most effectively. So um, I've, uh, my research has been on looking at that performance distinction and how we evaluate the primary, secondary, and tertiary features that come with an AAC system or device. My first, really, exposure
3: was way back. I mean, I'm talking like maybe 1996 or seven. And I remember <laughs> yeah, that's not far enough back, though Joyce. <laughs> Par but anyway, yeah yeah i I mean were and that was the that was the device that someone used uh, and able to speak, and the only thing I ever saw is when people had the uh keyboard you know with the mm-hmm. computer now back then were there other already other forms of
1: technology being used uh, Yes, what I think is important there is how how we've seen just such experiential growth in the use of computer-based technologies over the past couple of decades. Uh, but the language software, the language program that is used with those technologies, we have people talking more competently and effectively on that older pieces of technology because of their language program than we are seeing um, people using today, and it's because of the language program that's in there. And and that's what people are just not considering a lot of times. You know, it's not based on color, size, and weight. It's based on can you say what you want to say and then say it as fast as you can. And Mm -hmm. that's what we have to honor because that's what people want. In the area of employment, if I may just
3: use an example, if someone Mm -hmm. used uh, let's say they had cerebral palsy, very significant, they were unable to mm-hmm. speak. Yeah. And and they had the device I just spoke about. Mm-hmm. Do you know that was like almost impossible to get a job? I mean, that was, I would be called to meetings, and they would just be talking about one individual and right. how would he ever gain employment. And one of those people became not only one of my best employees, but one of the best employees at Highmark, and that was Jamie Protho. Right. But yeah. I, I, I remember, I know Jamie. Yeah. yes, mm-hmm. I even remember OVR or different groups saying, oh, my God, how will we get him a job and having a uh, video. And I tell, this story has been told at the White House, when I'm about to tell you. Mm-hmm. When I met him, he had on his resume, I yeah. will accept $10,000 a year because of my disability, which, <gasps> of course... I I didn't know that. Yeah, with a master's Mm -hmm. degree. And, of course, I said, whoever told you to put this on, take it off. Now, here Mm -hmm. he is, a software engineer at Highmark, very successful. Mm -hmm. But that's what I mean about, and I'm not meaning, by the way, this isn't difficult today. It still is. But it was, like, unheard of at that time. But who are the people then? One is speech. Who else could communicate from uh, well, who could communicate from Aac let 's go that
1: direction yeah who who would benefit well you know mm-hmm. statistics uh, statistically, we know that approximately three and a half million people in the United States could benefit from AAC, but certainly not that many people are receiving the AAC services they deserve, right <laughs> um, so individuals with a variety of communication disorders across the lifespan may benefit from AAC, either long-term or temporarily. So probably the most famous figure everyone knows is when they ask me about, well, what, what do you do, is, well, you know Stephen Hawking. <laughs> so there's an example. Um, but uh, w- we can look at uh, the population as being, are you a pediatric or an adult client? Um, what type of interventions are you going to need throughout your life? Um, and some are temporary needs because of medical treatments that are preventing them from being able to talk in the hospital. But autism, aphasia, ALS, cerebral palsy, Huntington's disease, and it really hurts me that we don't get enough referrals of clients with Huntington's because AAC can really support them hanging in there. Um, the list goes on. Uh, It's it's clear that in our society we have adults who are exiting school at 21 without an effective means of communication, and that means their life is going to be dramatically different than if they had been working on an effective means of communication prior to that.
3: Oh, yes, I think, I think that you should be speaking far and wide. This is very upsetting to me, uh, what you just talked about. I think this is so extremely important. So what are the steps someone listening to this show right now should take if they know they would benefit
1: from AAC? Well, I'm going to start by saying get a qualified speech-language pathologist who will conduct a comprehensive evaluation. Now that's much easier to say and much more uh, difficult for an individual or a parent to locate a professional with the training and experience and also willingness to spend the time that's needed for a comprehensive uh, clinical evaluation. So, But your listeners can't be afraid to ask questions about the qualifications of professionals and whether or not they have the clinical uh, experience that's needed. Um, And then another important question to ask is whether or not their clinic goes beyond billable hours to conduct the evaluation. Um, Yeah, and then don't hesitate to get a second opinion either. Um, We do that for our other major medical decisions, and making a choice about AAC is a major life decision.
3: Well, before we go to break, how mm-hmm. do they reach your organization?
1: Um, well, the uh, AAC Institute has a website, um, and I can talk clinic also has a website, and uh, it's www.aacinstitute.org or www.ikentalkclinic.com, and our number is 412. 412- 4020900 One more time could you repeat that? The phone number 412 and that's AAC Institute if you search or search on I can talk clinic. I can is one word. I can okay. talk. <laughs> so
3: important and we're going to talk about this more, but right now we're getting ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we're talking to Katya Hill, Executive Director of AAC Institute. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice on Disability Matters at VoiceAmerica.com Don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Since
0: 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies.
2: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station.
0: VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We're talking to Katya Hill, the executive director at AAC Institute. And I want to say, you know what? This show is so important. It's so important. You know, if you know of anyone as you listen to the show that you think, oh, I wish they had heard this, you can go to benderconsult.com and you can hear. These shows, they are all archived. So make sure you remember that. Refer this to anyone you think needs to hear the show. So, Katya, my question, how did you get into this? How did you become interested in <laughs>
1: augmentative and alternative communication? Uh, Joyce, I, I really believe that I was hardwired <laughs> and born at the right time to have AAC become my life's work. Um, I think I shared this story with you. How I was in second grade, and one of my neighborhood girlfriends had a sister with cerebral palsy who was in a state institution at Moose Lake, Minnesota, and she came home for the holidays. And I just, this is in my memory so much that um, I came home and told my mother um, after we I had spent the day and to say how smart Mary's sister really was and that she could communicate. We had given her choices about what to do. She, she chose that she wanted a manicure. We went to the drugstore. We picked out nail polish. We did the whole works. And um, I came home and said, Mary's sister has got to be living at home instead of in that institution because she's so smart. And my mother told me that uh, doctors knew best. And I never took that as a good reason. So although I started college wanting to be on the stage, detours kept on directing me towards speech-language pathology and a job of working with children who needed AAC. And that was right when the field was starting to introduce. There were mavericks in the field like I that you don't work on speech. You need to give them a language so they can communicate and say what's on their mind.
3: That is such a great story. Yes, you told me that, but that is such a powerful story. Once again, I can so relate because, you know, here's me telling my family doctor I'm having fainting, I'm Mm -hmm. fainting, and him telling me, don't worry, it's just a female thing. And, you know, it wasn't. And, you know, as you know, I almost lost my life. But Mm -hmm. that's that all the doctor knows. That is an amazing story. Well... I'm glad that you met her because look what you're doing now. You're the executive director of AAC Institute and I Can Talk Clinic, so tell us all about the institute, when it was founded, what the mission is. Uh,
1: Tell our listeners all about it. Well, uh, we're celebrating our 15th anniversary this year. Oh, congratulations! I'm really proud to be able to say that because it started in my in my back room, actually, part of my kitchen. You know, (laughs) is that right? Wow! Yeah, Uh, we're a nonprofit organization. We depend on donations, um, and we're only able to sustain our resources, service, and, and advocacy because of the generosity of people who believe in the hidden potential and importance that communication has on our life experience and quality of life. I co-founded the institute to provide those resources and advocacy for evidence-based practice at a time when evidence-based practice wasn't even being talked about. It wasn't in the scope of practice for the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association or ASHA. So these principles require that we are measuring and monitoring someone's communication performance to support the most effective communication possible. You know, too many uh, professionals make choices based on what's easiest for them to implement rather than what might be in the best interest of the person that cannot talk and the family. And that's really uh, where we need to be uh, setting our horizons, our dreams are for that person and the family. So that's what the Institute is all about. Um, As we develop more resources, I saw the need for a clinic, so we established I Can Talk Clinic. Uh, One of our very uh, big activities is running an AAC summer camp, and people come from around the country and the world to come to this camp as well as volunteer for it. Uh, We get people out in the community uh, talking with their devices. It's just a, a great, fun week here in Pittsburgh. So uh, if you visit our website, uh, you'll see the variety of resources that we provide, um, our advocacy efforts related to improving funding policies and evaluation practices, and you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter, too. (laughs) I'm sorry, when is that camp? The camp is at the end of July, and uh, it's our sixth year. And uh, we have a reputation now that when um, we are full up, we we put out the announcement, and within two months uh, we have um, all of the our camper families uh, deciding uh, they to come. Uh, It is truly amazing, and the volunteers that we get. Of course, where I was in fundraising mode for the camp, but there's a a very nice video that shows how the community of Pittsburgh has really been so supportive. Uh, We're at South Hills Village Mall for our communication challenge, and the businesses at the mall have been so open and willing to set up um, communication activities for our campers to go in and uh, uh, shop (laughs) and communicate something. Disney stores, wonderful, Target, the pharmacist, I can't speak enough about how the community has opened up for our campers to providing them with just enriching and fun things to do to make um, the community accessible for them to use their um, AAC systems to talk. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, that is, and, and you know, listen, tell
3: everyone. I'm talking to the listeners now. Tell everyone this is so great. I I just think this is so wonderful. Um and you know, my next question. I almost hate to ask this next question because mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you my opinion of this whole thing after you answer the question. <laughs> uh augmentative communication. I mean the technology, the actual mm-hmm. uh program language. Mm-hmm.
1: When did that first come into existence? Okay. Um, well, I'm just going to start by saying that all of us have to, have to recognize that people are born with an innate desire to communicate. Language is what sets us apart as human beings. So if we can't talk, we find ways to communicate to share our thoughts and our feelings. This has been through history. It's, it's what makes us unique. And no matter what disability I might have, I am driven to want to relate and connect with other human beings. So you can say from the very beginning, people have found ways. Just like as a second grader, I found a way to talk with Mary's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we spend days together uh, communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, but the field of speech-language pathology was slow to recognize adding AAC interventions to more traditional speech-language therapy. When I got mm-hmm. my first job in the school system, people thought I was a little bit crazy using sign language and symbols instead of just working on improving articulation for kid's that had severe oral motor speech disorders. It was like, that's not in your scope of practice. So a little over 50 years ago, AAC technology or products really started by families, grandfathers, and other engineers developing products in their garages because they knew a family member or they had a friend that needed a means to communicate. And then mm-hmm. they started selling those products through word of mouth and then there were trade shows and these garage businesses have become our first AAC companies. Uh, professional organizations such as Resna, Isaac, Asha started defining the field, oh, in the late 1980s and early 90s. So I consider that... a Lagging behind because my first job was, I will say, before 1980 (laughs) in working on it. So, um, adding services, these organizations added the service to our scopes of practice, to our training requirements. But even today, there are SLP graduating or graduate students leaving a master's program with very limited coursework in AAC and sometimes no clinical experience whatsoever. Mm. Well, you know why I asked you that question? You're right.
3: People will find a way to communicate, you know, on their Mm -hmm. own. However, why I asked you that is that people, remember what you said about your friend, how people viewed her as you need to be an institution, you aren't Mm -hmm. that smart? Yes. This is what I originally would run into,
1: is mm-hmm. that people
3: would meet someone that used augmented communication and immediately they would think they aren't intelligent, you know, oh, that they yeah. aren't that smart. And that is what is so frustrating mm-hmm. and terrible. Because I always say, wow, if you don't have that technology, you know, to me it would be like being in a prison because it's one thing to be able to talk. It's another thing to be able to have a normal conversation. Uh, versus mm-hmm. a few words at a time. So that, that's why I just so think this is great. I, you know, It enables people to communicate, and as you said today, at a faster speed than before,
1: which, you know, that too is really great. Well, you've hit on a key point, Joyce, because you can set up an AAC system, voice output technology, that really minimizes... The potential of that person. If it's only for expressing basic needs and wants, I have seen kids get bored right away, and so the the um, so the team can say, "Oh well, they're they're not motivated to communicate, or they don't have the skills or potential to do more." And it's not a hierarchy. Give them something that they really want to talk about. <laughs> right,
3: right. And that makes
1: yeah perfect it, so, sense. And the same with adults with acquired disorders. It's like, well, as long as they can write, they don't need something, um, or they can type, so all they need is letter by letter. But that's the slowest possible means mm-hmm. to generate novel utterances. I call it snug. Is is the system snuggable? Spontaneous novel utterance generation. Yeah. And That's a good. That's so, Um You have to fully inform individuals of all of their options. And a lot of adults, um, a professional will make a decision prior to, oh, they're not going to need this, they're not going to want this because I know what their disorder is, and they can spell, so they can just use letter-by-letter spelling and word prediction. Um, So um, we have to be very careful that we're, we're not making assumptions that don't allow people to actually understand what they could have been doing all along. Yeah, that's scary.
3: Well, I hope if you're listening to the show, you're listening. And remember, if you know someone else that needs to hear this, make sure you share the news that you can go to vendorconsult.com radio, and you will, within the next day, be able to hear this show. In the meantime, we've got to go to break. If you just joined us, we're talking to Katya Hill, Executive Director at AAC Institute. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
2: news, news. opinions Opinion. Opinion. your voice counts call toll-free 1-866-472-5787 1-866-472-5787 voiceamerica.com hi i'm greg Grumberg from the tv show heroes
0: high test line of service for more information please visit www.benderconsult.com
2: the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com
0: if you have a question or comment call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now please welcome back the host of disability matters here's Joyce Bender.
3: Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. We have as our guest today Katya Hill, Executive Director of AAC Institute. And I wanted to talk about some of the tools. Uh, first, I did actually, after I read your bio, I was telling someone about, oh yeah, we're going to talk about LAM, L-A-M, and they had no idea about the various tools. So I thought maybe you could talk about some of them uh, just to give our listeners an idea of what's out there.
1: Um, Okay. Well, um, LAM stands for Language Activity Monitoring, Uh, and it's a term I created to emphasize the importance of AAC systems providing access to language and not just functional communication, and then the idea of measuring language performance uh, using the same standards and measures of performance that are used with persons who speak. Like, like it's typical that um, speech-language pathologists ca- collect language samples uh, from people with communication disorders to look at how well they're doing. Um, but that hadn't been typical for AAC speakers. Uh, so, LAM uh, is a data logging feature that can be in, installed in an AAC system, and it includes a timestamp and then the language event uh, so that you can then analyze that. Um, it's also, I've been using the term LAM as an evidence based intervention. that uh, that applies the principles of language acquisition and treatment uh, for individuals who are using AAC. So this idea of working on language skills, um, language proficiency, language fluency uh, is important for long-term outcomes. So my research has established a variety of Um, LAM-related tools that showing their reliability and validity as a tool. Uh, The Performance Report Tool, or PERT, is an analysis software uh, that I developed um, in partnership now with uh, Dr. Eric Nyberg at Carnegie Mellon University that takes advantage of the LAM data to generate a two-page report on how well someone's doing. And then we have a self-study program at the AAC Institute that um, uh, offers courses on land principles and practices. And this information can be found at AAC? At the AAC Institute, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, we have over 30,000 people that have enrolled in our self-study wow. co- um, program and taking the courses.
3: That so, is awesome. That yeah. is great. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope everyone goes to that website because <laughs> that is, uh, you yeah. know, so much information that they can gain. And now I get to talk about how we met, and that is eye gaze, which I'm like absolutely mm-hmm. just blown away. I mean, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I wanted you to explain that to our listeners because it so impressed me. It really did, and um, I don't know how many people use this yet in the United
1: States, but I wanted you to talk about it for our listeners. Well, I think it's important because I ran into some issues with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and they were not going to be funding it, and there was a, a large advocacy campaign uh, to um, get CMS to um, s- refund or or a- approve funding for an eye gaze system as an alternative access method to an AAC device. So one of our clients, and where we met, um, was uh, I, I'm not I can't say her name, but um, in her. Um, offices and businesses who had um, an illness that then required the only way to access an AAC system was through eye gaze, using that as an alternative method. And what was so interesting about this is as she went into the hospital and needed eye gaze, um, nothing had been provided for her to communicate for over eight weeks. And the hospital then, the SLP brought in a manufacturer who set up a device, left it in her hospital room, and she couldn't use it. So they did find our clinic, and we came in and started working with her and trialed her on any uh, variety of devices to ensure that uh, she was able to calibrate, um, the camera accommodated for her needs, and, and now you can see she's, Return to being able to run her company again. So, um, what we are seeing with eye Gaze is a lot of professionals are undertrained. Um, they may call in a manufacturer to help them conduct the evaluation, but they're not necessarily trying their clients across a variety of devices. So that again, that they are fully informed of the feature differences that exist. Among the technology. So, the AAC Institute does offer an eye gaze conference, and this year it's in Pittsburgh on September 29th and 30th, where people can get eyes on training from the leading manufacturers who offer eye gaze and can understand more about the decision making process. So, but you saw the phenomenal uh, results of that correct match on uh, our friend and our my client in um, what Eye gaze is now allowing her to be able to do. It's oh, amazing. I know. It's just
3: awesome
1: to be able to
3: use that and send email, you know, and mm-hmm. do whatever your business is. Um, I, I think it's wonderful. I, I mean, I, I just was very impressed with this, and I really believe... It's just that we don't have enough people that know about this.
1: So, and what what was sad about this is that one device that was sent there—if they would have just accepted the fact that, oh, well, this is eye gaze, I can't use it, I don't like it, and had never gone anywhere else—just think uh, where she would be today. I know. Nowhere.
3: That would be terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned a moment ago about uh, policy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's good to know. How, how do policies influence the services and supports for people getting the AAC interventions and
1: help them achieve their potential? Well, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, um, is the federal organization that has established policies related to funding for what they call speech-generating devices, or SGDs. And so that's kind of synonymous with AAC system, but it is that official term used for approving the purchase. And what CMS then did is approve durable medical equipment codes or assign durable medical equipment codes to SGD categories. And so, unfortunately, these e-codes used to categorize um, uh, SGDs, and again, I don't want to be too technical here, but we're stuck with these terminology that have been used for funding, um, Are ba- but these codes are based on features that really don't make a difference or distinguish one SGD from another. So third-party payers, our insurance companies, don't understand the feature matching process and the features that make the difference in terms of one language application or device that versus another device or language program. So many SLPs don't even know these feature options or fail to compare them. So an insurance company can set up a preferred agreement with one company as in-network and then lock out other companies just thinking, well, any device within this e-code category is just the same as any other. And it just doesn't work that way. So we're locked into this system that is not to the beneficiary's benefit at all. And then we have billing codes for services that set unrealistic limitations on uh, having a comprehensive evaluation done. Again, they're not in the best interest of the beneficiary. There's no way that I can conduct a thorough speech and language evaluation in one hour. Uh, looking at the, how complex both speech and oral motor skills are and uh, language is for uh, someone with a communication disorder that needs AAC. So when I hear um, somebody emailing, uh, emailing me that they had a comprehensive evaluation and what was recommended uh, wasn't very effective, I have to ask them, and what was the length of the time of that comprehensive evaluation? Was it just two hours? Well, you can do it in two hours, even though you called it comprehensive. Uh, did they show you the full range of options? If they only showed you one device. Did the manufacturer conduct the evaluation? Some people, that's what is, is shared. What was the experience of the SLP? So there are a, a lot of hidden policies and practices and procedures that... Um, people are just unaware of. The Institute has passed several resolutions that uh, we encourage people to use when confronted with these funding obstacles, and they're available at our website under the funding link. And we started an Ask Me Why I'm Not Talking campaign to advocate for improving funding policies. It's... uh, (coughs) You know, there's a a right to equal access to communication is what I talk about, and um, which means to me equal access to language. Well, you know what?
3: The one thing that really got me as I was listening to you is someone that would go in and have that minimal uh, evaluation. That would be so terrible you know for for that person to not see or the family to not see really all the options and and you know what would be best for their child or if it's, if it's an adult for they themselves uh so i uh, again all of this so reminds me of when people make the mistake of only going to a general practitioner when they have epilepsy and not going through, you know, the test and the EEG and consultations and knowing the different options, whether it's a vagus nerve stimulator, uh, mm-hmm. surgery, or different types of medication. So, that right. you, you know, that is absolutely so critical, and, and I can definitely relate to what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, well, I just got. Yeah, I no, just go got ahead. back from go a school district. Oh, sorry, Joyce. No, go ahead. I just got back from a school district where I'm evaluating a student. And um, when I'm setting up to to go and observe a student in school and then evaluate them during uh, several days that I'm there, I also say that I want to go to the home at night and work with the family. And then, like this past Saturday, we, um, I went with the mom and the student to Barnes & Noble using the AAC systems. So um, when people come to our clinic, that's also what they're surprised about, is we schedule these days where they're seeing multiple SLPs to get um, multiple input as what several people are saying about skills and abilities. But we're at the clinic, we're at the mall we're at the, a restaurant, we're at the grocery store, um, to get as much information about um, how they're functioning and what their communication needs are as we can in setting up um, a treatment for them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Uh, that is so wonderful. You're doing a great
3: thing. You know that? See, this is what I mean. That full look what you're doing, that total evaluation. I mean that is so sad if it would be someone that somewhere in the United States went, had a short evaluation and didn't get to do all those wonderful things you're talking about. So, you know, we need to we need to keep getting this news out. We really do. This is so very important. And by the way, before I ask you the next question, mm-hmm. if someone is listening to the show now, or the people that listen to the show when it's archived and would like to make a contribution,
1: how do they do that? Um, they can go to the AAC Institute website, www.aacinstitute.org, and there is a donation button. Um, but they're always um, can call um, our offices and talk to our uh, assistant Director Shannon Carney, and that's four one two four zero two zero nine zero zero. And I'm I'm happy to talk to anybody too, anyone too. Okay,
3: and yeah. and so, if, but if you go to the website, there's a funding button. Yeah, I assume that's mm-hmm. what you mean. Okay, yeah. well, hey, if you're listening to the show, and I'll bring this up again later in the year because I know everyone thinks of where they want to make contributions. This seems to me it would be a good idea. So (laughs) I hope you take time to do that. Well, now we're going to talk about your future here, AAC. What do you believe is going to be the future? What do
1: you see? I don't even know if I want to have a crystal ball (laughs) because I might not like what I'm going to see. Okay,
3: well, you you have to forget the crystal ball. Yeah. Forget the crystal ball for a yeah. moment. What, what do you think? What do you, really? What do you think? Uh,
1: well, society really needs to make a decision about how we want to define appropriate services, whether it's that's appropriate educational wise, or appropriate in terms of health care. Um, so, for example, uh, I do not think that Congress that passed PL ninety four one forty two and later IDEA defined free and appropriate education as the most minimal education uh, we can give a child with a severe disability. I think that they they use that term, free and appropriate, to be the same mission of the school district that that child was in. And if you go to a website of a school district, you're going to say see something like, Excellence in education, being a lifelong contributor to society, being a lifelong learner, so um, we really need to be rethinking um, how we're using that term appropriate and not to say what is minimal and when i'm going <laughs> I'm going in too often and seeing the minimal was provided mm. so um. It, Can society make that shift? Can we make that shift? Um, I was uh, in Washington, D.C. for um, meetings and had an opportunity to tour the Supreme Court. And I was just moved. Every time I go to Washington, it's just like I am so moved at what our country can do. Mm -hmm. I really am. I, I get tears in my eyes looking at the Capitol, looking at the White House, looking at the Supreme Court. And I was standing in line to get into the Supreme Court, and I looked up at the entrance and saw it engraved, Equal Justice Under the Law. This made me think about those individuals and families who benefit from AAC. Do they have equal access to communication, equal access to education, independent living, jobs under the law? The law says they do, but in practice, they don't i i I don't see it all the time. I agree with
3: you I do and well, as a society, you know what? we have to tell uh, you before we end the show today, you know, yeah. as I told our listeners at the beginning,
0: mm-hmm.
3: wow, when I read your bio, and, and then just hearing everything today, uh, mm-hmm. which is so wonderful, what you do and have done, but if you had to look back or look now, whatever it is, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? First,
1: my children.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I
1: raised three beautiful, caring, and paying-forward children. So if I can't do it, they can, they can do, do something to uh, contribute to the world. Um, for my mission... I'm hoping that my greatest accomplishment is yet to come. Uh, yeah. I am I, too. I, yeah.
3: I mean, with AAC, I'm yeah. hoping that. Yes, yeah, right. And, you know, and do you do a lot, by the way, before I forget to ask you, so you mentioned it before, do you do a lot with just advocacy, advocates, you know, that the fight for all of this? Yes. Yeah. Disability yeah. rights advocates.
1: Yes. Well, we do as much as we can with the resources that we have, um, and uh, and try to reach out. So uh, I'm, you know, I make calls, I write letters. You know, I'm a pain in certain people's sides, if not other parts, of their body. But that's okay, because it's uh, I feel with as a disability group, people who cannot talk have not been heard because so many times they are not given the voice to be able to express what they want to say. So I'm going
3: to tell you right now, I'm going to connect you with uh, the American Association of People with Disabilities in D.C. because, Mm -hmm. again, I just think this is so important, and um, it was just really an honor to have you on the show. But before you leave, what message would you like to leave with our listeners?
1: Okay, and and this goes to all AAC stakeholders, but I think probably especially to the families and AAC speakers. Please don't be satisfied with the status quo or people expecting so little from you or your family member who needs AAC. Don't accept the message of little hope in terms of your achievement or dreams. Keep asking the hard questions of why you're not talking or whether the person and family you're serving are getting the care and treatment that you would want if you were in the similar situation. Don't settle.
3: Right. Don't settle. Don't settle. Well, Mm -hmm. listen, Katya, I so appreciate you being on the show today, and we will be following what's going on at AAC Institute and spreading the news and telling everything about this What you're doing, but before I close, we end the show every week with a quote. So today that quote is from Rosemary Crossley who said, Not being able to speak is not the same as not having anything to say. This (laughs) is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com.